Hey everybody, this is Matt Hardman, this is the Race Nerd Podcast here on CKCC Radio. Hopefully you are enjoying the show along with the plethora of others that cover the entire spectrum of anything you want to listen to, whether it's racing, like this show here, the number one racing-related show on CKCC Radio. Then again, it's the only racing-related show on CKCC Radio. There is also music with Jay Bunny's Music Cup uh, with Jason Shin. Sorry, I had to scratch my leg. I had dry skin or something. Probably hit some poison ivy or something on there. Like was itchy. Anyway, we're not talking about poison ivy. We are talking about CKCC Radio with Jeff Trellowitz and Ranking Tracks, one of his two shows. There's also Real Paranormal Talk. Jason, uh, uh, Jeff's other show. So I don't, I don't know if Jason Chin is actually into the paranormal. Anyway, there is also Motivational Moods with Adrian Cotton. Uh, Adrian, the author of the AWO uh, wrestling book series. There's also the Stupid Sexy Simpsons podcast, United We Fan, the Great American Binge Cast, along with many others and I'm sh- and I know I'm forgetting some I apologize uh, there is also exclusive patreon content so if you donate five dollars or more you move up into different tiers of patreon content where you get a lot of bonus shows including some from myself uh, so check out CKCC radio on Facebook Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, all the social medias. I'm sure somewhere they're probably already scheming one up for MySpace when that ever comes back around because everything comes back around retro-wise. Anyway, we got a lot of racing to talk about, a lot of racing news. You know, we got the All-Star Race. We got Iowa Speedway. Why that's in the news. We got IndyCars from Iowa. That, could that be part of the reason why it's in the news? Maybe. You'll have to stay and wait. The Tony Stewart Ray Everham uh, series. The SRX series. We got a whole bunch of stuff. But first, we got to start... Before we start the news, we've got a pop quiz nose. Ah. In 1975, this NASCAR Cup Series champion and Daytona 500 winner would become the first of two NASCAR Cup Series champions to ever lead a lap in the prestigious Indianapolis 500. Who was that driver? Tune in at the end of the show to find out. So, we've got a lot of news to talk about, but we have 
A couple of bits of sad news I, I got to touch on with the passing of former driver and one of the coolest names in racing, especially if you're into juvenile humor, Dick Passwater. Passed away at the age of, I believe it was 92 or 93. Um, sure, I'm going to have a fact checker on that one. Uh, correct me on that. But we also had the passing, and I just found this out earlier today prior to recording. The passing of Bob Bear, uh, Northeast racing legend. Um, Bob was the former owner of Oxford Plains Speedway here in Maine and was the man behind the prestigious Oxford 250. And look at that, I said prestigious twice on this show and we're only five minutes in. Bob, who would later sell Oxford Plains Speedway in the hopes of a new racing venture. And that racing venture would become what is now New Hampshire Motors, Motor Speedway, NHMS. Uh, Bob would take over the what was the former Briar Motorsports Park out there in Loudoun would turn that into a one-mile oval, somewhat similar to a, a Martinsville. And that track would usher in their first race in 1990 with the Bush Grand National Series opening up there. And Bob would later, uh, with some controversy would be one of the co-owners of North Wilkesboro Motor Speedway. And we've touched on that story numerous times about how Bob Bear and Bruton Smith would uh, partner up to buy North Wilkesboro in the hopes of getting North Wilkesboro's two race dates. Uh, Bob would get it for a second New Hampshire date and Bruton would get it for a date for his brand new Texas Motor Speedway. Bob would later on in 2008 sell NHMS, or at the time it was called NHIS, New Hampshire International Speedway, along with his half of North Wilkesboro Speedway to Bruton Smith and uh, Speedway Motorsports, SMI, uh, turning sole ownership of both tracks to Bruton and his conglomerate of, of racing tracks across the U.S. And Bob Bear would continue to help the community in Western Maine, um, financially and quietly uh, through his later years. Uh, I believe he was also one of the founders of the New England uh, Auto Racing Hall of Fame, which is at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Uh, I believe him and Dick Bergren and a couple of other people were involved in that project. Um, Bob probably knowing him very silently. Um, Bob is also the brother of 
Dick Bear, who is co-owner of Bahari Racing, the team that Michael Waltrip would put on the map in the late 80s and early 90s uh, before moving over to the Wood Brothers. Uh, the team would also have Johnny Benson and Derek Hope as their drivers uh, before selling to Earl Birmingham of Eel River Racing. And in 1987, a year before Bob Bear would sell his famous uh, his famous track in Maine, Oxford Plains Speedway was the sponsor on Michael Waltrip's number 30 Chevy Monte Carlo in the Daytona 500. So there's a little bit of trivia for you. And they were also the sponsor on the... I believe it was the sportsman car that uh, Jeff Bodine uh, famously was involved in a wreck at Daytona, which took out a station wagon, which was filming the race for a local TV channel there in the Florida area. Uh, so we have we have that unfortunate news. We also have the unfortunate news. And um, sending well wishes to Catherine Legg, who, in a in Germany, had actually broken her leg uh, driving the European. I believe it was the European equivalent of the uh, WeatherTech series here in the U.S. Uh, the IMSA sanctioned series over there in Europe. Uh, she had broken her leg. She is on the mend. Uh, Catherine, who is known here in the U.S. Uh, for driving in IMSA uh, with the famed Delta Wing car and was also a former Champ Car and IndyCar driver um, and was the first female to win a open wheel race in an American open wheel series event. Uh, Catherine would win in the Toyota Atlantics uh, just a few years prior to Danica Patrick uh, winning in IndyCar at Motegi Japan. So got all that out of the way and now we got some racing to talk about you know it, although it's been about a week and a half we've had a definite fair share of racing within the in news in the past couple of weeks uh, first we had the all-star race which was won by Chase Elliott and in an all-star race which was very very unique um, one, it being at Bristol for the first time after pretty much it's since its inception, it was held at Charlotte, except for one year in 1986, the second annual Winston All-Star Race, which was raced at Atlanta, as I said, I believe. Um, and that, ironically, was won by Chase's father, Bill Elliott. So the Elliots are the only drivers to win the all-star race outside of Charlotte Motor Speedway. There's a unique trivia question. 
ask your friends, your, your racing fan friends. As, uh, the race itself, I will say, was lackluster. The build-up for it was high with all the new changes, the, the number positioning, the ground effect lights, which we'll talk about both in a second. But it was the open that was fun to watch, um, especially for these lower um, to mid mid pack to lower teams on the circuit as they were trying to race their way into the Winston, which even had they if they make it, you know, that could pretty much shore up some of these teams for possibly the rest of the season as there's quite a big payout. Uh, for just finishing last in Winston, as we saw a couple of years ago. Uh, so, we had, which I think kind of drew away from the All-Star Race itself, in the qualifier, saw a feud start between Michael McDowell, who is known as one of the great guys in the garage, and Bubba Wallace, who is become quite a lightning rod uh, this season with certain certain things that have gone on in the world. Uh, we'll leave it at that. But in what was a racing incident kind of with the players involved kind of got bigger than what it should have been uh, as what had happened between Bubba and McDowell was Bubba had moved McDowell up the track as they were fighting for third early on in the open qualifier. McDowell in kind moved Wallace up while trying to regain the position and had pretty much dumped him uh, to a chorus of cheers by certain fans. Uh, a, a classless act. No matter who the driver is, anytime you cheer a driver going into the wall, um, you're, you're just scum. You're just scum. Uh, even more so with the fact that it was Bubba Wallace. I, it was a very polarizing uh, figure right now in the sport, uh, depending on what kind of fan you are. Uh, Bubba would, after that, would go on make some comments on social media, calling out McDowell and questioning his his um, his Christian beliefs as McDowell is a devout Christian, and would take the front bumper off his damaged uh, Chevy Camaro since he was not able to finish the race and he was the leading vote-getter of the fan vote. The fan vote leader gets taken out and is not able to transfer over. Uh, so Bubba was very frustrated, would take the front bumper, leave it at the door to the hauler of Michael McDowell's number 34 uh, uh, front row racing. Door. And the caveat to the end of the story is front row and Michael McDowell 
Uh, turned a negative into a positive by auctioning off the bumper and it got a pretty big amount. I forget the actual amount, but I believe it was somewhere around 15,000, which is which are 1500 15,000. It, it was a it was a pretty big amount for something that most fans any other time would be able to pay, you know, maybe three, four hundred bucks for a front bumper from a team. So, and the money all went to charity, went to Motor Racing Outreach, which is a, a Christian charity, which racers and whatnot uh, donate their time and and all to to raise to raise money for different charities. Racing Outreach has that program. Anyway, so getting to the All-Star Race, as I said, really was kind of lackluster. Chase Elliott runs away with it, uh, wins his first All-Star Race. And the talk besides the Bubba McDowell feud is how would these cars look with these these, uh, side numbers moved on the car to add more sponsorship for the teams and how would these ground effect lights look uh, to me it was half of one half of the other as I, I like the numbers being moved on certain cars um, in particular I really enjoyed it on Ryan Priest's car in the open his Energizer sponsored car for the weekend or for for the all-star race I thought I thought that was really well done I even talked about it on the last show wasn't a fan of um, Kevin Harvick's which saw the number move back and a bud not a bud but a, a bush light apple sponsored car with a red can on a red font in the middle of the car, it really didn't do a whole lot. Uh, so, I really wasn't a fan of that one. I wasn't a fan of Matt DiBenedetto's, who raced his way into the All-Star race. I thought that one was kind of lacking with the co-sponsorship on the car of Menards and AVP, the product that they were trying to promote. I thought had it just been an all-yellow Menards car, it might have looked pretty cool, but it is what it is. I there was a lot of positive feedback on the number, uh, whether it's something we see just for the All Star race or a one off. I think it was successful, but I don't like. I still don't like the idea of it being used um, season wide. I guess I'm a bit of a traditionalist that way. But something that there was some negative to was the ground effect lights. The ground effect lights that the idea came about based off of um, the donut show, smoke show that they had last year in Nashville during championship week. I think that NASCAR was 
little too ambitious and that this was not something that the diehard fans would really look forward to. This glow light under the rear bumper uh, that would kind of give off the affected ground effects. It, it, it was lame as one. It only affected the rear of the car and was only on cars that were locked, already previously locked into the All-Star race uh, through winds and whatnot, and not counting the drivers that transferred from the open or the fan vote. Um, the fact that it was only colored by, that the different colors, I should say, were indicative of the manufacturer you had Chevy with a amber color uh, for the Chevy emblem, all the Chevy cars. Blue for the Ford, and I believe it was red for Toyota. I, I I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. Maybe it would have been better on a track like Charlotte instead of the concrete that Bristol is. I just did not feel it. Uh, so. I don't want to say the all-star race was a dud, but it kind of was a disappointment, you know, for being Bristol and for being so hyped up of all these new changes and everything that we saw in the open. So, moving on, we would go just a couple of days later to Texas where Austin Dillon would score his third career win in the Cup Series. Dillon and teammate Tyler Reddick would finish 1-2 on a pit strategy moves that were I thought were really gutsy, and you have to give it to Richard Childress Racing, uh, staying out with no tires while the rest of the field stayed out on two and four tires. I thought that was a really gutsy move. And I think this is a big win, almost as big as Austin's two other wins, uh, both the Daytona 500 and the Coke 600, as the Coke was his first win, and that was a fuel mileage race. The Daytona 500, as, as we all know with uh, Speedway, super speedway racing, plate racing, whatever you want to call it. It's just, you just happen to be at the right place at the right time. I think this win at Texas, he just happened to be the, put himself in in position to where he can make a, he and his team could make a, uh, a gutsy call like that. Um, go out for the win. He ran well pretty much all race. The same with teammate Tyler Reddick. Uh, then that weekend we also had the Xfinity guys and the Truck Series teams racing. The Truck Series which saw Kyle Busch uh, run away with the win just hours after being disqualified in the Xfinity race. He would dominate the Xfinity race. There was a problem with the ride height of his car. And he was stripped of the win and giving it to Austin Sindrick, which would be Sindrick's third win in a row as he won uh, 
the two back-to-back races at Indy. So, Sindrick, who has gone from zero wins on the season to three, right behind uh, former teammate at Fred Keselowski Racing, Chase Briscoe. And Sindrick has definitely stepped up and been that one guy who can compete on a consistent basis with Sindrick, with Briscoe, I should say, sorry. And I think that that is a pretty good one-two combo for anybody trying to win that Xfinity Series title. Uh, So we have that. We also have the fact that um, after that we move on to Kansas. Not to be confused with Kentucky. I know that they're both in the Midwest and they both start with a K. But Kansas would see Denny Hamlin picking up his fifth win of the season. One over Kevin Harvick. Uh, Hamlin would win. In, in a race that saw a little bit of controversy, a little bit of this and that, and would see a scary wreck involving Ryan Priest, who at Texas would set a modern era record with his third straight dead last finish in a row. Uh, Priest this time would finish a little higher than dead last, but be involved in a wreck not of his making, and a very hard wreck, which saw him go into the outside wall and lift up and go over. Um, he would walk away from the race. Uh, he's all okay, but he, the team has just not gotten any luck this season um, for neither of their drivers. And in, in a season that started off with a lot of hope, as Priest is a really talented driver, and bringing in Ricky Stenhouse, a multi-time winner on the Cup Series, and a super speedway ace. They've just not had the luck for what was expected of them this year. Uh, but I got to backtrack is one of the controversies coming out of Texas was another wreck uh, that happened late in the race that actually had set up uh, for Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick to make that gutsy call, and it was a wreck involving rookie Quinn Huff, Quinn Huff, Quinn Huff, who in the double zero Permatech Starcom Chevy would go from the top lane all the way down to the bottom lane, uh, trying to pit and would take out um, a number of the contenders, uh, most notably Matt Benedetto among others, and which caused a lot of criticism. Uh, Brad Kozlowski said that there should be a way that drivers uh, who have not earned their way in would have to earn their way in, and uh, if they basically cause moves like this, that they should be demoted. You'd have a promotion-demotion system, uh, kind of like how soccer does in Uh, Europe. If your team is bad, you get demoted down to a lower tier league. And the champions that would go off, you know, that type of thing. Um, 
and a lot of this is due to Quinn Huff not having any experience in years ago and I I see Brad's point I see Brad's point 110% that drivers uh, should earn their way in there used to be a uh, a feeder system for this Uh, as, as a driver who would hope to go to cup would be you know start off in let's say the Arca series get some seat time in these big stock cars uh, if they do well, you know, they would be promoted to the the truck series or the Xfinity series. And from there would progressively work their way up until they hit the Cup series. Uh, the last driver who I, who I remember had um, jumped pretty much straight from the the outside ranks right into the Cup series was Juan Montoya or Juan Pablo Montoya, I have to correct myself, good old JP, Um, but in his defense, Juan Pablo, who really didn't have a whole lot of stock car experience, had certainly experiences, he was a former Indy 500 winner, I would later go on to win the Indianapolis 500 a second time. After he would leave NASCAR uh, and had won in Formula One, I believe he he won at Monaco as one of those uh, Formula One races. So to say that he is certainly talented enough and has enough experience behind the wheel uh, for that, yes. But Quinn Huff, I think, is a driver, and I don't even know how many total races he's had in the lower series before being promoted full-time to this ride. I don't imagine very lot. I don't imagine a lot. But he, um, yeah, this is a, this is a absolute rookie mistake, and it was a mistake that NASCAR sought to speak with him Thursday prior to the race. Thursday night at Kansas. So, um, speaking of Kansas, the truck race that was run Friday night would see Austin Hill pick up his fifth win of the season and the Hattatory Racing Enterprises number 16 truck. Um, and making, punching Austin's ticket into the 2020 Truck Series Championship playoffs. So, we have all that. We also had IndyCar, which ran at Iowa Speedway. Iowa, which has been in the news as uh, ISC, the the sister company under the NASCAR umbrella. The formerly publicly traded group that owns tracks like Daytona and Watkins Glen. Richmond, Martinsville, among others, has said, has started shuttering down the track, the track which just debuted not even 10 years ago, out there in Newton, Iowa, had shuttered down to just a small scale of people prior to 
prior to the IndyCar race and actually had shuttered part in part due to COVID, but you can't blame COVID for it all. They, uh, they're just, while, well, the track is a sellout, it wasn't super profitable enough, apparently, that ISC is looking to either sell the track or shut it down. But that's not where the story ends here. As ISC is looking at those options, IndyCar and the Indy Motorsports Group, or whatever, I believe it's called Penske Entertainment, uh, the arm of Penske Enterprises that now is the owner of the IndyCar Series and Indianapolis Motor Speedway may be interested in purchasing it as Roger Penske uh, and, and his group had actually owned tracks like Michigan and California and a handful of others, Nazareth Motor Speedway being one of them, uh, prior to selling to ISC, that they would be looking at purchasing that just to keep Iowa on the IndyCar schedule. Now, if that's the case, I am 110% behind it. I think that is an awesome idea. And I certainly, certainly am all for this. And I think it would be great. You know, NASCAR would be able to keep it on the schedule after they canceled uh, their races at the track this year due to uh, the pandemic. But... I think this would be great. You know, this way NASCAR will be able to continue running at the speedway and not have to foot the bill for it. As, you know, Penske would be running it. And I think it, it's just great, you know, especially to keep another, you know, keep it from being shut down and lose another oval track uh, for the IndyCar guys. So, ah. Uh, but the Indy cars, we did have some racing there. And funny, we just talked about Penske buying the track as two of Penske Racing's drivers would double down on the weekend. Uh, first being Simon Pagino on the Saturday race would go from worst to first, picking up, I believe, his first win of the season. And not to be outdone on Joseph Newgarden, who was the polar opposite at the start of Sunday's race, would actually start on the pole and would be the first IndyCar driver to win from the pole in the history of Iowa uh, Motor Speedway. I think that's, I think both of those facts are astounding. Pagano being the first driver to fit, to start from last and win, and Newgarden being the first driver to start from the pole and win. Uh, I think that's pretty cool, uh, and the racing was pretty good. I'm, you're not going to hear me complain about it. Uh, so, yeah, um, a couple of other bits of news uh, as the. Saturday truck race at Kansas will feature a former 
X Games champion as Travis Pastrana has decided to dust off his old NASCAR helmet and give it a shot in the number 45 for uh, the number 40 I believe for Nice Motorsports uh, the truck that is normally driven by Ross Chastain uh, Chastain will be running the Xfinity race uh, for college racing later on that day uh, so but moving on we got some F XRS News or SRX uh, Stock Car Racing Experience uh, the Ray Everham, Tony Stewart, George Pine, Montag Group uh, series which Everham would be on the Dale Jr. Download podcast. Uh, those of you who haven't listened to it, check it out. It's, it, it's really insightful not just about Ray's career but uh, his goals and aspirations for the SRX and why he enjoys it so much as Ray is definitely a tinkerer and uh, a guy who pretty much started his um, the former driver who actually would go on and be one of the head guys at IROC uh, with the setup of those cars uh, he talked about how he you know how these cars would be that they would be take away the aerodynamics and the downforce all that you know and just leave the cars up to the drivers and that the drivers will have get their crew chief on the day of the race they will have 20 minutes of practice time that their cars will rotate from race to race and their crew chiefs will rotate race to race and they will find out their crew chief on that day and and their cars as well. So it, it's very much like IROC. Um, I, I do like the caveat of moving around their crew chiefs. Um, and nothing's been said about, you know, what kind of car they will use. There's been some talk of the old IROC series cars. There's been talk of late models. There's been talk of dirt late models for the dirt races. Uh, and there's a lot of speculation out there. Um, you know, everybody from Danny B of Danny B Talks out there on YouTube to uh, some of the actual beat reporters. Uh, there's a lot of a rumor and innuendo out there on who and what will be in this series, where this series will be next year. Uh, the only thing that is concrete is that there will be 12 drivers and one of those drivers is officially announced and that is 2013 Indianapolis 500 winner and current driver of the 14 car for Tony uh, AJ Foyt Racing on the IndyCar circuit, and that is Tony Kanon. As TK will be running the series, um, it's pretty much a given, even though it hasn't been announced, that Tony Stewart will also be competing, uh, as it is his series, and he does compete in his uh, 
all-star circuit of champions out there on the dirt side. It, as much as it is pretty much a given that one of the six races will be held at Eldora Speedway, the track Stewart owns. Um, there's been rumors that have are unconfirmed that, as I said before, when we the series was first announced, that Stafford Speedway in Connecticut, owned by the Root family, and that Knoxville Raceway, home of the world-famous Knoxville Nationals in Kentucky, or not Kentucky, in Tennessee, or not Knoxville, uh, the Knoxville, the world-famous Knoxville Speedway. I don't know why I'm thinking Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, the only thing I could think that would be cool about that is if there was a Knoxville Speedway in Tennessee and they were able to get the mayor, Glenn Jacobs, in a car. And that car better be red with friggin' flames on it. Those of you who watch wrestling, I'm, you know who, who and what I'm referring to when I say Glenn Jacobs in flames. Uh, as Jacobs is a former wrestler. But, anyway, getting back to this, um, other names that have been linked that are unconfirmed right now are Dale Jr., Matt Kenseth, Danica Patrick, uh, Catherine Lake. I believe I said Catherine Lake. Um, but those are just drivers who are in there and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you 12 drivers uh, Paul Tracy is one I'm gonna give you 12 drivers who I'd love to see in this series if I had to pick 12 drivers uh, 10 you know given the the two that are pretty much done deals you know obviously TK being a, a done deal and Tony Stewart Pretty much just he's there you know he'll, he'll get it uh, the first being I, I would I would I like the idea of Catherine Lang there's three because I, I think she's got I think she's got talent and can race especially if they do decide to do a small road course um, for the series Dale Jr. would be another one I, I don't know how that would work uh, with him being an announcer at NBC and this series being a CBS exclusive. Uh, I don't know if there would be any conflict on that. And I don't know if him and Amy are are ready for Junior to um, get back behind the wheel, even on, you know, a six-race thing, you know, a one-off race at Homestead or, or Martinsville that was, you know, he had hinted about whether, you know, six races at these short tracks, whether that would be, you know, something that they would look into, especially with his history of concussions in possible, and CTE and whatnot. So that would be one I'd like to see. I don't know how reasonable it is. Uh, the, the Danica Patrick rumor, I, I don't know. I, I'm not 100% sold on that. Um, I think Dan, 
Danica is talented, but I don't, I don't foresee this series. I think she's moved on from racing itself and just kind of doing her Danica Patrick brand. Um, but other other drivers that have been rumored and linked are Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson. Uh, Jimmy, anything's on the table. Um, even IndyCar, as he does have another test coming up for Ganassi Racing, a test that was initially scheduled for the road course at IMS. Uh, he will, I forget what the test is going to be, but he will once again be testing a Ganassi car. Jeff Gordon, who really hasn't raced much since retirement other than the 24 hours at Daytona uh, shortly after his retirement and his stint as a relief driver for Dale Jr. Uh, while Jr. was recovering from his post-concussion issues. So, as I said, we've already nailed down three driver's leg uh, Tony Stewart and Tony Kanaan my who I would go after if I if I had magically gotten a phone call from Ray Evernham and Tony Stewart which is very very unlikely very very unlikely although I'll gladly take a call from either one uh, as both are really cool and I think I I think Ray and I could get along because we're both Jersey guys, and well, Tony and I could get along because he's got he's got less of a filter than I do. Anyway, my picks for this series will be just um, drivers who are not linked to a, a specific series. Um, I wouldn't go after cup guys because you don't want to compete against NASCAR. They're not competing against NASCAR as uh, Evernham would say. They are just trying to showcase the sport in a different way with this, with this new series and this new kind of competition in, in the fact that you're bringing all these drivers from different series together um, and they, they actually kind of want to work with NASCAR on their schedule you know kind of you know not set not be in competition with them you know so anyway my my drivers uh, one of them besides Blake on in Stewart, which has been linked to the SRX series, but it hasn't been official, and I've heard this from a couple of different places that this driver has been linked, is the Biff, Greg Biffle, former truck series and Bush series champion, uh, a guy who really did have a shot at winning all three NASCAR touring titles uh, for kind of leaving the sport. I think he would be great. I think he can certainly race, as we saw last year with his one-off truck race at Texas, where he won in his only start of the season. 
I think also you have another driver, which which is perfect for this series. Uh, he he races a lot of dirt, a lot of uh, asphalt, and I think he could be at home in anything, no matter what you throw at him. Is Ken Schrader, uh, Ken who has been retired for the Cup Series for many, many, many years. Um, still races a ridiculous amount of races a season. I think it's still 100 races a year. He still competes uh, and has competed at tracks in all 50 states. Yes, including Alaska and Hawaii, Ken Schrader has competed in. Uh, him and Kenny Wallace, I believe, would be two drivers that I'd like to see in the series. And I think they could, uh, they could do well. They could do very well. Um, especially Schrader. And they're both great ambassadors to the sport. And if you want, you know, personalities to really come out. Those are, those are two very strong personalities. Uh, so let's say those, that it would be six of the 12 that I would have to pick. Another one that I would pick, uh, just from racing, and I mean, this one's very, very obvious. A man who has been on fire in the world of dirt and outlaws uh, since being, since leaving the NASCAR scene, that would be Kyle Larson. I think Larson, it would be a great spot for Larson to get back on the national stage. And I think it would be something that he could be fun doing, you know. As, as Larson is much like Stewart, I believe the, the biggest overall talent on dirt, on asphalt, uh, that has come along in the past 25 years. Uh, he's, he's certainly a, a, a once-in-a-generation talent, unfortunately. Uh, had not really been able to show it on a national stage on a consistent basis in the Cup Series. And his, his slip up, I guess you could say, uh, during the iRacing here during the pandemic, it pretty much ended his NASCAR career. We ever see him back in the NASCAR series and the Cup series? Who knows? Uh, I think it may take a little while, uh, which is a shame because if you look in the history of NASCAR racing, there's other drivers who have done worse. But anyway, so Larson would be in Larson, Biffle, Schrader, Leg for. I forget how many we're at now. I want to say that was seven. Uh, Robbie Gordon being another one. Robbie, um, the owner of the Super Truck, uh, the Sports Super Truck Series. Uh, he would be one who I would definitely go after. As Robbie is one of those drivers who is extremely versatile. He can run the dirt. He can run this. He can run that. He's run Indy cars. He's run... Uh, the Dakar Rally, I think he is just certainly one of those guys who can do it all, and I think he would be another amazing personality uh, for this Fledgling series. Uh, 
the same could be said for uh, Bubba Pollard, the uh, the short track late model legend. Uh, he, I think this would be great to get him on a national stage, and and I could say the same in a in a self-serving way with Travis Benjamin, uh, Travis, who is a two-time Oxford 250 champion and former act series champion i think or not act past series champion i think this would be great for both of those drivers um ron caps would be one uh, who i'd like to see ron who ran well in the prelude to the dream races at eldora actually learning how to run a a dirt car uh, coming from the world of drag racing i think it would be fun and ron has got an amazing personality if you've ever seen his napa commercials Another another driver, which which would be great for this series, uh, would be a former IndyCar driver, obviously Paul Tracy. I think Paul Tracy would be great for the series. Definite personality, I think, and and he and he's pretty he's pretty old school. I I, I love watching and listening to him. Uh, another uh, uh, Parker Kligerman would be great. Uh, Parker is a has the same problem that Junior does, you know, broadcasts for NBC. So, you know, we would have to see on that. Um, but you got all those, you know, I, I I don't expect like a Scott Bloomquist or anything to to be there. Um, but I, those are just some names that I, you know, you know, I thought about, and and I'm and I'm. And I'm liking where this is heading, and, and I hope that we'll hear more on the series uh, as the days go along. But anyway, this weekend we got the rest of the Kansas races, uh, and the weekend after, uh, I forget where they are going, but anyway, hope you enjoyed this show, hope that you join the Patreon, check out our bonus content where I did an AMA session and ask me anything. And I'd like to thank uh, Ed Ballow and Chris O'Mealy for sending me questions and those members of the um, NASCAR Happy Hour uh, page who I had pulled some questions from on that. Uh, anyway, I am Matt Hardman, and I will see you next week. Bye.